coming to you from 40,000 feet above sea level over the state of Kentucky or Tennessee. Kentucky, I think it's Kentucky right now. It's numbers on the ports. I'm Bobby. He's Skin. Hello, Bobby. It's been a uh, long time since we've podcasted, and I think it's fitting that getting the band back together 40,000 feet above sea level is the way to do it. In Kentucky, known for its music, uh, bluegrass, I believe, is, is what they do. And if you look out the window, everything is black and yellow because it's about one in the morning right now. Uh, I don't see any bluegrass, so I guess I'll just have to take their word for it. What do you know about Kentucky geography? I know it's somewhere near Tennessee. I know that uh, it's the land of bourbon. I've actually never been to Kentucky, like on the ground. I need to go. I've always wanted to go. Um, Our own uh, Scott Tomlin in the PR department went to the University of Kentucky. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, he knows a lot about... He's actually a knowledgeable bourbon guy. He's a knowledgeable basketball guy, knowledgeable music guy, which are all things we've all sort of mentioned here at the beginning of this podcast. So uh, I think he would be better to tell us about Kentucky unless you know a bunch, and I didn't realize it. I really don't know that much about Kentucky. Uh, I know we're over Dale Hollow Lake right now. Um, I looked at a thing. You- yeah, we have the... I don't know why, but like half of them aren't working. But we have the things that you do on that you see on planes, where like the little TVs that pop down. Yes. And uh, we don't have in-flight entertainment on on Air Mavs. We do have a lot of great food and drinks and great service from the the flight attendant staff. But we do not have like the latest Mission Impossible movie playing on the TV screen. Instead, it's just a map of the world or the U.S. rather, with our route, time to destination, speed, all that stuff. And uh, right now it's a cool negative 63 degrees Fahrenheit. So I feel like, you know, it's too cold to go outside. Uh, You would die like instantly if you did go outside. So I figured let's come inside and talk about some basketball. Because like you said, it has been a very long time since we podcasted. The last time anybody heard from any of us was December 20th. That was that Clippers game. The last time you and I podcasted, I think, was before the Denver game. So that's all the way back, like, December, like, 15th, 16th. It's been a very long time. Uh, Obviously, this this 10-game stretch has not been the best uh, in terms of results, but it's been about as hard a 10-game stretch as you can think of in the NBA. Whenever you play eight, 10 games, sorry, in about 15, 16 days, and the easiest team that you face by record is Anthony Davis's team, you know, uh, you're in a you're in a pretty tough stretch of schedule. Yeah, and you know the Mavericks, uh, they had to get a split, and that so it would have been hard to sweep the Pelicans in back to back games. Right, it's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, and they almost did. They almost did. And uh, you know the Mavericks did have the next two games against Oklahoma City. It's interesting when you have the back to backs like that. I looked at those stretch of those were four games, but really. The Oklahoma City road game was the start of a brutal four-game road trip that was a week after a brutal West Coast road trip. And so if you look at those, the Mavericks went one and seven on those two road trips, but it's not like they played poorly. Obviously, they shot the ball horribly in Boston, and Oklahoma City on the second night of a back-to-back was bad. And they were fly, uh, flat on the, the Philly game that we're flying back home from. I thought they were really good on the West Coast swing. They just couldn't get over the goal line. 
And then in the middle of all that, they had that brilliant performance in Charlotte, uh, in which they hit 10 threes in the first quarter. So the Mavericks are still hanging around on the outside of, of the, the playoff chase after this brutal stretch. And come Monday, the Lakers will come into town without LeBron, and they're struggling. I think they're 1-4 and four without LeBron. So, uh, yeah, did you hear Lance Stevenson has called it upon himself to, to be more of a leader, oh, to be more of a tone setter? That's great. I, is it? Is it, are there going to be bits involved? Or? I, I don't know. I hope so. He, I think he'd set a pretty funny tone. I mean, I think of all of the of all the players on that team whose tones I would want to hear the most, I'd be, I'd be curious to see what he's capable of when he, he literally, like, strums an air guitar as yes. a celebration. Is that okay? So is there an origin of that? Because when Luca hit a big shot, I think it was against Houston, he went down and strung. It wasn't. He wasn't doing the guitar. He just happened to – he was like, wow, my hand is really hot right now. Please cool it off. But the Lance Stevenson thing is a guitar. That was truly an air guitar, yeah. Maybe he had seen – do you think he just watched like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Uh, Maybe. I always just assume it's something that happened in Fortnite and I've missed out on it. Maybe. All trends that I don't know what they are, I assume they come from Fortnite. Yeah, I would say that Fortnite has – ruined the dance cam maybe ruin is is a little harsh because the dance cam doesn't really matter all that much but i mean it's just like nothing but backpack kid and the the dance yes. that antonio brown does on the pizza hut commercial there's a lot of flossing and a lot of carlton dances what is floss it's where you do this real fast yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah. the backpack kid thing yeah what's the one where it's like you, you have your hands at your side moving parallel to your body and you're raising one leg up and then you like pump your fist. Oh yeah. Sort of. uh, is that the Millie Rock or is that something else? I don't know. Okay. This is some great, great podcast. <laughs> you and I are very, very hip. We should delete all this and pretend like it never happened. Oh, I haven't even been recording the whole time. So, uh, just kidding. Okay. Yeah, I, I want to say something a little bit about Philly too. It was kind of like a note-for-note uh, imitation of the Boston game. Like, it wasn't like watching the same game two nights in a row, although the ending was much different. You know, in Boston, the Mavs right. kind of petered out a little bit. In this game, uh, in, in Philly, they ended up – they were down four, and there was a loose ball. And if they recovered it, all of a sudden you're potentially, you know, shooting to make it a, a one-possession game. So, you know, they did pretty well to fight back. It's hard to even remember what happened on that West Coast trip now specifically because it, even though it was only two weeks ago, it feels like it was two months ago. Right. Uh, there was that game in Denver that was kind of close throughout. Golden State, they sh- they were shooting for the lead. Portland obviously went to overtime. Clippers and then the Clippers game, game. Yeah, the Clippers game was a great game too. Yeah. Um, and the Clippers won a revenge from when the Mavs beat them. Yeah. You know, when the Mavs beat them in Dallas, the Clippers that went on a big slide – and then got it turned back around by the time they saw Dallas the second time and, and, and got their act back together. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, those are three, really four, pretty spirited efforts. For sure. Uh, I think seeing Portland on the second night of a back-to-back, you and I might have even mentioned that. It's like, man, could we just reverse yeah. the order of those games, play Portland first where you're a little more fresh? They still almost won that game. They come home, beat New Orleans in a close game, lose to New Orleans in a close game, beat OKC in a close game, and then these this four game road trip happens. So you go one and seven. Uh, only two of those losses, OKC and uh, Boston, were not clutch games where it's within five points in the final five minutes, where it's basically a toss up. Right. 
the other five games, and obviously it's all five losses, but the other five games were clutch games. And many of them were decided either at the buzzer or like, you know, on the last possession or two, which is progress from where they were earlier in the year on the road. Obviously, you want to see more results and less just like process, but they're getting better away from home, which is good. I mean, I, I, don't know, I know what you're saying. Uh, we're in the Mavericks are at the halfway point for their road schedule. Follow up pointed that out tonight. They uh, already, played, uh, huh? Yes, they played. Uh, was it 21 road games? Uh, is that right? Yeah, three and 18. Yeah. So uh, they're at the halfway point there. That has to change, though. Um, you can't be the worst road team in the league and be a serious playoff contender. Uh, and it's amazing that they really are, that they're just on the outside looking in. But it's really starting, if you look at the standings, it's really starting to crystallize like you and I thought it would at the beginning of the year. And and so it, I, I don't think the Mavericks are deterred or, or let down by their performance on the road, but I think they're frustrated because I think they feel like in a lot of these cases they played well enough to win. But these road games – early turnovers, especially early live ball turnovers, they just kill you. Yeah. And they can't do that. And, and they got to get back to playing defense a little bit closer to what they did when they really got things turned around at home because to steal a phrase from my man Harp that's to your left right now in the airplane, defense travels. Your jumper will come and go as we saw against the Celtics, but defense travels. Yeah, and you have to – whenever things are not going well on offense, you've still got to buckle down. And there's been – in the Philly game, for example, turnovers will bury you. Like they lose the game by six, they turn it over twice on inbounds passes. Right. I mean, and that's just you know th- those things happen to every team. The Mavericks have stolen inbounds passes this season. I think Dennis did that against Chicago, yep. uh, second home game of the year, and they they won that game by like four or six points or something like that. I mean, that happens to everybody. Uh, I think if you zoom out though, this ten game stretch. Even good teams are going to go like five and five or six and four. Right. The Mavs end up going three and seven. Ten games is a large chunk of the season, and going three and seven is is tough. But if you're a fan, I would just say you have to keep like the big picture in mind. They had before that road trip began, before that four gamer began, where they go to Denver and take on the Clippers, Portland, Golden State. They had the toughest strength of schedule remaining in the NBA. Now, I have not looked and that's that's by uh, opponent's average win percentage. Yeah, right. I have not looked but I would imagine now, after this 10 game road trip, they are significantly lower on that list because you play Denver, Golden State, who are the two top teams in the West by record. I think you play OKC twice. They're in the top four. Yeah. You play the Clippers, they're a playoff team play Boston and Philly, who are both incredible. Even Charlotte, for as lopsided as that game was, Charlotte is the number six seed in the East right now. They were 500 when that game happened. So they got a whole bunch of tough games out of the way, just in one fell swoop. And the rest of this month is tough, too. You have to play Toronto again. You play Milwaukee. You play Golden State and the Lakers this week. It's going to be a big week for Mavs basketball. But, like, the rest of their schedule is much easier now. So you, you just – you got a bunch of the tough games out of the way you made a bunch of progress but now it's kind of like you know you owe you owe home a little bit you're going to be playing quite a few home games now uh the rest of this month so 
think it's kind of one of those things where you have to take the, you have to take the progress where you can, take the positives where you can, and just uh, realize that even the best teams in the league, you play five games in seven nights and four of them are on the road, you're going to lose a whole lot of those games. Are you going to Minnesota on Friday? I'm not going. Are you? Okay, uh, I'm not going, but if you look at this week, I look at this week as you need to go three and one. To be to be serious now, it's, can you can you what, who we got? We got the Lakers on Monday. Got the Lakers on Monday, and they don't have LeBron. You're the best percentage wise. You're the best home team in the West, unless that's changed in the last two days. Um, I'd have to double check, but you're at the top. You need to beat the Lakers at home without LeBron. Then you have the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix has beaten your arch rival. If you lose to Phoenix at home. It's going to be real hard for you to go, yeah, we're in this playoff chase. I mean, there's a lot of time to go. We're not even at the All-Star break, but you understand what I'm saying. It's it's getting to a critical juncture for you to be what you think your identity is. We're in January now, right? Start to be what you think you are. So I look at that as, quite frankly, I expect to go 2-0. And then if you are going to start getting some road wins, Minnesota's the kind of place you need to go get a road win. All right, What's going on with this? So right after that trade, they were pretty good, but I think they've kind of like sank down a little bit, right? Are they they're toward the bottom? They're uh, yeah, and they're still last I checked below the Mavericks in the standings. Carl uh, Anthony Towns is on a tear right now statistically, though, putting up big numbers in his last four or five games. But but that's the way I look at it. I look at the Mavericks as they're better than the Timberwolves, and when you are trying to turn something around, then I look at that game as good. That's a game we need to go win. And they've already beat Golden State at home once, so I'm not going to sit here and go, hey, we're going to – and who knows, is Boogie going to be here by Sunday? I have no idea. He is play. is he playing with Santa Cruz or is he just practicing he just with Santa Cruz? Practices. Okay, yeah, so I – He's practicing with the team too. Full, you know, I don't know. Who practice. knows? I mean, even if he does play, he's probably going to play, what, like eight minutes or right. something, kind of doing the dark thing. Right, gradually work his way in. But, yeah. uh, but you can understand why in that four-game stretch I want to go three and one. Because I, this is now you got to get really serious about this. You've you've made you've allowed yourself to make too many mistakes, and it's 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 really starting to get tough because those six and seven seats now are three games over five hundred, right? And you're a couple games below five hundred. Those are those are become wider gulfs. You need to, you know, and it, it's like I look at it this way. I look at it as like a game on the road, right? If you're, you know three minutes to go on the road and you're down five, you're staying tethered. You know, you got to stay tethered during these stretches where, hey, man, they I'm not making excuses. You're not making excuses. But those are two brutal road stretches. You went one and seven. It's hard to stay tethered when you go one and seven. So now they got to make up for that, right? And this is the kind of week where you make up for it. And I think I know the way you feel about the team and the way I feel about the team. I fully expect them to go do it because I think they're capable of doing it. Yeah, I mean, they were, you're like a bounce away here and there from like three and five instead right. of one and seven. So Absolutely. it's just like a, all kind of a perspective thing, I guess. But you look at their road record, you see three and 18, and you're thinking, my God, what do they got to do to get one on the road? And then you look at the teams that they have not played on the road yet. So they haven't played. Later this month, they go on a three game trip where they play the Knicks, the Pistons, and the Cavs all in one road trip. You need to go two and one at worst. Yeah, worth, at yeah worst. or three and zero. Oh. Yeah, I mean, and and you have not played. I believe at this point the only East teams you've played on the road are Toronto, Boston, Philly, and Atlanta, and, and Charlotte. Charlotte. And yeah. you won. And you won Charlotte and Atlanta. Yeah, we, Atlanta. We, it's crazy. They just skipped that game. They they didn't even play that game. It's, it's wild. I don't know what happened. 
But uh, you've played like the three top teams in the East, and then Charlotte, who's in the playoffs, and then Atlanta, who's one of the worst teams in the East. But you have there's a whole lot of those teams toward the bottom that are all below you in the in the league standings that you have not played yet. Going through a little turbulence right now, Skin. You all right? Are you okay with turbulence? Have you ever seen the movie? Uh, no, but there's a really good, uh, like about 15 years ago, there was a Jamaican dancehall dude named Turbulence. And he had a killer jam, but I, I'm not really into that scene anymore. I don't know if he's around or not. Yeah. We, uh, I'm not the, I'm not the biggest fan of Turbulence. I gotta say, I prefer smooth flights over turbulent flights, but we had, uh, I guess this is a tale from the road the other day in New Orleans going there, uh, after Christmas, it was storming in Dallas the day of that game at home the 26th and then uh new orleans i guess was going to go home that night i don't know if they did or not because it was like thunderstorming okay and then that storm blew east so the next day we're supposed to fly to new orleans in the afternoon and it's storming in new orleans so our flight gets bumped back an hour and we fly out there and it's it's great flying out there it's sunny and beautiful and then we get like five minutes away and i look outside and it's just like black clouds I'm like, oh my god, and it was a it was a pretty bumpy landing, but uh, it wasn't too bad. It just just the descent, like into the clouds, is pretty was pretty brutal. We came back from Oklahoma City one time, and uh, it was a brutal flight. Like we were thrown all over the place, and uh, getting ready to land, and it's real bumpy. And I look over, and I'm on the back row, and Donnie's one row in front of me, and I look over, and we get on the ground. It was brutal, but we're there. You feel safe when you're on the ground. I look over at Donnie and he goes, man, that was a white knuckler, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you can just tell, like, I don't know. These guys, these pilots, I've heard stories about. They, these are all, like, Air Force veterans. They've flown 10 million planes or whatever. And most of the guys on the plane, you know, because I only travel about half the time. And, and you, I don't know how much you fly on your own time. But with the maps, you don't, you don't travel too often. So... Between the two of us, we're not on very many flights, right. right? And the guys on this plane or everybody else except for us go to all 41. So we bump a little bit. I don't see anybody move. The only time I ever get nervous in turbulence is whenever I see the other people kind of, like, <laughs> grip a little bit tighter. You know? Do you know the uh, the Don Meredith story, the Dandy Don story? Uh, does it have to do with planes? Yeah. Are you too young to really know who Don Meredith is? I know him because he sang "Turn Out the Lights, the Party's Over." Yes. Right? Uh, did the Lipton Tea commercials, but uh, he was a Cowboys quarterback when they were not very good. But he was a really good player, and he just had a real casual, just easy going vibe about him. There's a story about a cowboy flight where they were getting thrown around and then suddenly they just lost altitude and just were dropping and plummeting and so you have these grown men these giant football players screaming like girls no offense girls and uh, uh, suddenly Don Meredith sitting in the back takes his bourbon holds it up in the air and says boys it's been a good <laughs> of course the plane evened out and they survived but I'm like that's the vibe I want to have yeah, that's awesome. I wish I could achieve that I can't achieve that yeah, no, I'm my, my first thought anytime you hit like the smallest bump is, oh my God, this is it. Like, this is the end. I'm going to go down with my last meal being peanut butter and jelly and Lay's potato chips. I always start thinking to myself, you know what? I've lived a pretty good life. If this is how it ends, what am I complaining? Hey, there you go. Cheers to you. This podcast brought to you by all of the whiskey that you drink, yes. all of your favorite ones. I'm a Balcones guy. 
Yep. Love Balcones down there in Waco. Highly, highly recommend. Yep. Of course, Jack Tano's too. A great bourbon or whiskey. I don't know whatever one it is. I don't think we're in Kentucky anymore, but Jack Daniels is, that's Tennessee anyway. It's Tennessee, isn't it? so that's a whiskey. Is there, uh, what's Woodford Reserve? Is that Kentucky? I think that's Kentucky. I believe that's a bourbon. There you go. So is bourbon just made in Kentucky and whiskey's made in Tennessee? So I used to believe that, well, there's all kinds of whiskeys, right? Like Scotch is a whiskey, for example, or Crown Royal is a blended whiskey from Canada. So there's all different kinds of whiskeys. I used to believe that to be a bourbon, it had to come from Kentucky, but I believe it depends on the type of barrel that it is aged in to give it that certification. So, for example, there is a Texas bourbon, like Balcones has the blue corn bourbon, and I think it has to do with the type of barrel that it's aged in. But, again, that's a question for Scott Tomlin, our PR guy. He really, really knows this stuff. we got to trade you out for Scott. Scott's Scott. much better than I am. we got a month till the trade deadline. We'll see who's on this podcast come February 8th. How about that? Yeah. Um, okay, so the Mavs are going home. They're going to face the Lakers. And then the Suns, two games in three nights. This is the first time that they're playing two straight games at home since December 10th and 12th, if you can believe that. It has been nearly a month since they've been at home for longer than about 24 hours, which is just absurd. I mean, that is like it happens to every team, but it happens to every team maybe once per season. So, I mean, the the worst – there are long road trips the rest of the year, but the worst of the travel I think is over for them. So – at 18 and 21, that's it, right? 18 and 21 right now? I believe so. Um, appro- yeah, it's 18 and 21. You're right. Yeah. Approaching the halfway point of the season, I guess in these last 10 games, I don't know. I mean, uh, more than the what happened in terms of, like, the, the individual games. Just, like, what are your thoughts on where the team is going? What are your thoughts on what's happening? I guess we really haven't talked about Dirk at all. Like, wh- what is kind of your – what are your overarching Mavs opinions right now? Well, uh, in general, I don't think they're that far off from being the defensive team they were when they really righted the ship, but there's unevenness there. they got to do it more consistently. Um, They are obviously trying to figure out what Dirk's role is, and he's trying to get healthier. He's had some good stretches, like the stretch in New Orleans was really nice. I believe he dropped 11 in 10 minutes or something like that. Um, and then obviously he had a, the brutal stretch uh, in Boston going. It's funny, me and Followell were looking it up on the bus. I don't believe he had ever gone more than 0 for 5 in a game, and it was his rookie year. And he said after the game in Boston, he's like, well, usually if I'm shooting like that, I stop shooting. But they were <laughs> asking me to shoot, so I kind of had to yeah, keep shooting. Um, but I, I, I see signs of him being integrated more and, and getting more comfortable. I still think that's really going to be a – post all-star break thing to where we see what we thought we were going to see with him because it's a long way back um i do like what i've seen from dennis since he's been back let's not forget he's missed had you know 11 games including i believe 10 in a row i think that was right something like that um and then obviously i think the, the biggest thing that everyone wants to talk about is just how good luca is and um rookie of the month again top uh, you know, in the Western Conference, one of the top three vote getters for front court guys. Um, and I, I, I can't wait to see, it was hard for us really pointing this out on the broadcast. I can't wait to see how that impacts him moving forward because he's one of these guys that I don't think he expected to be in the top three in voting, but like once he's there, he's like, okay, yeah, I see why I'm here. 
like he he believes in himself. He believes that he belongs and all these things that we've talked about on the podcast many times. He's living up to these things and just blowing everybody's mind except his own. If that makes sense. Like I think to some degree everyone's like, Whoa, wow. I don't think he's whoa wow. I don't think he's ever really had any whoa wow moments except for like LeBron getting behind him. That but that's different. That's that doesn't have to do with believing in yourself. That's like Hey, my hero's saying awesome stuff about me. I don't care who you are. That's a great deal. He's 19, man. I mean, like, so I'm 27. So Dirk is to me basically what LeBron is to Luka. Luka does not know the NBA without LeBron. Right. And LeBron is like the guy who he's trying to be, really. I mean, as a player, he's trying to be just like LeBron. For LeBron to call him out is great. Uh, Luka will always just say it's just basketball. I've been playing it my whole life. Not really even thinking about it. And I think the thing that's surprising me about him is that as the season is really, I mean, we're in the thick of the season right now. These last 10, 15, 20 games, you're starting to see a little more, like, not deference on the other players' part, but just, like, a collective confidence that, like, Luca is Luca is the guy. It's just kind of like, deliver. it's, like, understood. Yeah, he's, he's going to deliver. They know. And, and I, you know, I don't want to, you know, sometimes we get to hear things and you don't want to just come out and spill the beans, but... You know, as far as I can tell, it was pretty obvious to most of these guys very, very early on in camp what he was. And, and you were uh, say that before they even had organized, like before media day, for example, like just in passing, he's, he's pretty dang good. I'll pull the curtain back a little bit. I won't say which player, right. but at the um, Dirk's tennis charity event the night before, there was this big auction and all of Dirk's teammates were there. And keep in mind, that was early September, so it was before camp was official. And um, they had been doing all those pickup games. And one veteran, and I won't say his name, was talking to me and Ben. And during casual conversation, he called Luca their point guard. And then said he may be our best player. Dang. And so... And that's before... Before practice. Right. Like, that's before they actually played basketball. And keep in mind, veterans don't rush out to give rookies love, you know, and so it's like, and I think also because he played pro overseas, I think a lot of these guys don't look at him as a rookie. They look at him as a first-year NBA player, and there's a difference. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the other thing about all this, and it, it was, uh, this happened a couple hours ago. So uh, you and I were talking before the Boston game about – how many fans that were there watching warm-ups, right? And a ton of Maverick fans. And I'd asked you, are there more Maverick fans here than last year? And you said, oh, yes. And so we're t- kind of talking about why. And obviously, it's Dirk's last game, maybe. People, I think, are assuming it's his last game, so they're buying tickets accordingly. And Dirk was out there shooting when Luca was, but all these people were yelling at Luca. And when you go to these eastern cities, there's a lot more immigrants, European immigrants. And I think the Boston game and the Philly game and back-to-back nights for me sort of cemented the reality of, holy cow, the Mavericks have a guy that the rest of the United States looks at differently. You know, Dirk was always so unique because he didn't put himself out there in commercials and he didn't hop-nob with fellow stars and... We loved and appreciated him here on a level that the rest of the United States didn't really catch up to till 2011. 
And so with Luke, it's different. And I think because they're, we just saw it in these two Eastern cities. So in Philly, it, the presser, there's two little coaching pressers in the hallway. There's one before the game and there's one after the game. So the one before the game, there's a lady reporter talking and I could tell from her accent, she's, you know, Eastern European and she's asking about Luca. And so then Rick goes into the, the, you know, locker room when it's over and I'm, they're waiting, we're waiting to go in. So I'm standing there talking to her. She's a reporter from Slovenia. Nice. And so I started asking her about Luca and she was like, you know, we've never really had anything like this back home. You know, and, and I was like, so how good is his dad? She go and there's the, her producers with her. He's like, he's good, but he's not like special like this. He's just good. And I go, for example, is he anywhere near Drogic? She's oh no, Drogic was our best before now. But back home, Luca's a rock star. So they're sending reporters to Philadelphia or Boston to cover him, right? And you kind of get a sense of how big it is. Well, then after the game. Uh, Rick is answering questions and there's a guy that's videoing and asking questions with a very, very thick accent. And it says NBA Afrique on his media credential. And I don't know what that is. And Rick was kind enough to answer the guy's questions very, you know, thoughtfully and nicely. But it's after a loss. They've just lost, you know, three of four on the road. It's a long road trip. He wants to go home. But even Rick realizes everywhere he goes this is what people want to talk about. And when he sees that it's people from other parts of the world, he kind of realizes the importance. So the question is one he's been asked a million times, and I'm sure he's sick of answering it, but it's who does Luca remind you of, right? Because this guy's going to go back to whatever country he's from and write the story that everybody here has written a hundred times already. And so instead of, you know, kind of being aloof, he gives them a thoughtful answer. But one of the things he said that I saw firsthand on this trip and we've seen leading up to it. He said, you know, I'm not really into doing these player comps, but it doesn't really matter because Luca is without a doubt his own man. And that's the number one thing I'm taking away from all this is that at 19 years old, he is not surprised by any of this. He expects to do very, very well. He believes in himself and quite simply, he is his own man at 19 years old and I can't believe we have and he's not he's got just like he talks and he knows he's good yeah but it's like a it's a cool calm collected confidence like it's just he understands that he's got it and and teammates respond positively to that there's young guys that come in that think that they're just like hear one former Mav just say that they're like God's gift, right? They just walk around. They know that they're just the coolest thing. And not that this Maverick was like that, but he was just commenting on on other players who act that way. And that doesn't really resonate with your teammates who are older than you, make more money than you, and who feel threatened by you because you're taking their, potentially their jobs, right? It's a a competition, man. There's not a lot of these jobs. Yeah, and and there's not a lot of uh, positions of but like point guard. <laughs> There's not a lot of ball handlers on a team. Not a lot of playmakers. There's not a lot of uh, room for guys that are six foot eight in a starting lineup. So, but all these guys—Barnes, West, Dennis, DeAndre—within the first five games, they understood Luca was was really good. Yeah. But now that we're at a 
approaching game 40, approaching the halfway point of year one, it's just so understood. Like, if there's under a minute left and they need a bucket, it's just, like, so clearly where is Luka? Let's run this double screen thing and let's get him a shot. And it's just, like, it is just so – this transition from rookie phenom to – The man. The man has been so quick and so seamless. And everybody knows the clutch numbers and the usage is just out of control. Like, he is so involved and he's been very, very effective when he's been involved. It's just, like, I never – I figured that people around the world and people around the country would really like him. I didn't know that he would take over this team so quickly. This, This whole thing has just been so, so different than what I expected. I'm with you, and I'm I'm shocked, but it's amazing to watch. And there's so many little different examples I could give you, and you've seen them firsthand. But the other thing that's really fun about this, uh, he's a teenager, and he is totally a millennial teenager. He is. Um, there's a, like one thing I just witnessed getting on the plane. I was walking behind one of the coaches, and he's dragging his bag behind him, and Luca's already in his chair. And as the bag goes by, Luca knocks it over, just like your 19-year-old son would do. I'm 47, so I'm old enough to have a 19-year-old son. He's being a teenager. And we see it on the court when he's smiling and laughing and, and doing those things. And so uh, before you switch seats with my buddy Chopper, who's one of – he produces the legend games, and he'll travel on the road, and he's a cameraman. And uh, he was showing me some of the stuff he shot from the baseline. And, and you're in Philly where everybody's heckling. And he had this really awesome shot where he's sitting on the baseline, and it's a free throw. And Lucas on, you know, getting ready to rebound. He's in the middle spot. And Chopper zoomed in on him. And he said, there's two guys next to him that are just heckling the crap out of Luca. You're no good, blah, blah, blah. And Luca, he's got this shot of Luca bending over to his knees, you know, kind of like guys wrestling on the free throw line. And then looking in between the arm of, I believe, Ben Simmons and smiling at the guys and winking at them. <laughs> and just doing it in this real sort of covert way, this covert manner of, I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to you. Oh, by the way, I hear you, and I'm yeah, winking at you. That's awesome. It's it's just he's 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 charming. Yeah, and he's got it. Yeah, but it, it I don't know. Well, we'll we'll see what happens, man. Everybody, kind of the whole thing now is like everyone loves him too much. Eventually, he's going to become the villain because you can't stay popular forever. And maybe that'll happen one day. Maybe it won't. But I'm just I'm going to soak up the the good times yeah. while we have them. This sort of like youthful innocence. I would encourage everybody else to do the same because not everybody's like Dirk. Maybe Luca will be cooler than Dirk. Who knows? But this year's been pretty fun. Whatever happens, just remember the good times forever. This has just been so much fun. I don't know. I don't really know where I was going with that. Uh, you, were, you were, you know what? I, I knew where you're going with it because I was feeling the same way. It's basically, we can look down and go, we're 18, 21. It's hard to get into the playoffs, but. I just don't know that it's hard to predict what's going to happen in a season and how your team's going to play defense and the stretches they go through and, and all those sorts of things. You know, that's the way a season will play out. But just we had no idea this thing was going to happen because this thing that's happening is way bigger than 18 and 21 and way bigger than whether or not you make the playoffs this year. Uh, he is a transcendent player. And I've said this a couple times. I said it watching uh, – you know, Orlando, for example, this isn't a knock on anybody, but they've been in the lottery a lot. And I don't think they have a 
franchise-changing player for all those lottery trips. I'm a big Bamba guy, and I think he could be if he grows into that stuff, but it's the likelihood that you're a franchise-changing player is more that you won't be. Like Aaron Gordon's a really good player. He's not a franchise-changing player. And so you can be in that lottery forever uh, and, and not get that guy. So it's just there's a bit of luck to it. I mean, obviously the Mavericks maneuvered to go get him, but uh, they got lucky. They really got lucky in a lot of ways. Yeah, they did. They did get lucky. They did get lucky. And hey, I mean, whatever happens the rest of this season, players that are as good as him generally are in the playoffs. So whether that's this year, next year, the year after, the wait won't be long. Yeah, and it will. You might have to wait a long time for them to be in the lottery again once they get to the playoffs for the first time. And, and that kind of leads me to the la- I guess, I don't know, how long have we been going here? Going about 37 minutes. Maybe. Kind of leads me to, like, one of the last things that I really was thinking about wanting to bring up. I was talking to somebody the other day, of all people, my dad, about the Mavs. It was after, maybe after the, might have been last night after the Boston game. Or it might have been after OKC, I don't know. All these games run together. Uh. And um, you're getting a good dose of road Bobby right now. Oh my god, yeah, road weary Bobby. <laughs> it's like two in the morning. I've had uh, about 14 beers on this flight. <laughs> um, and I, I was talking to him, and I mean, I remember earlier this year, you know, when the maps were 15 and 11, basically after that, after the Houston game, I think it was, right? You know, at that time, everybody's riding high, and we're thinking, oh my god, they're like they could be fourth place in the west right now, like they, they could be uh, they could be fighting for home court at this pace. I mean, I have no idea. And, uh, every, you know, expectations are fun and stuff, but you can kind of get carried away. I remember after one of these losses, my dad texted me, and he was just really frustrated. Like, I can't believe, you know, every time you get your hopes up, you're going to get let down and all this stuff. And, you know, they're they're not as good as I thought they'd be. And it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, right now they're 18 and 21. Let's say they split their next two, so they go 19 and 22. That's on pace for 38 wins. That's 14 wins better than last season. 38 wins is mostly, you know, most likely gonna you're going to be outside of the playoff picture. You're going to be within striking distance. You're going to be within three or four games of that last spot. I mean, even if this pace is the pace that they play at for the rest of the season, it's such an improvement over last season, night and day. And, I, I mean, I would say more importantly than just, like, the pace – sort of extrapolating win percentage over the course of 82-game win season is, is just if you expect them to be a top-four seed, then you're probably going to be disappointed because there's only four top-four seeds. Right. I think what you and I both were saying at the beginning of the year was, yeah, it would be great to be competing for a playoff spot. Right. Seventh, eighth place would be awesome. But there's a whole bunch of teams, including New Orleans, for example. How would you like to be a big Anthony Davis fan and you, you have – one of the three best players in the NBA, and you're like five games out of eighth place right now. Yeah. Minnesota, uh, the Lakers are falling out because LeBron's missing time. I mean, only one or two of those teams can make the playoffs. So if it's not you, it doesn't mean you're bad. It just means there's a lot of other good teams. So I would just say if you're getting if you're getting frustrated about the losses, losing sucks. Winning is way better than losing. I'll I'll go on record and say that I prefer to win every game, but. The losses are going to happen. You just can't pull your hair out over something so early in the process. This these, this team's two most important players are combined 40 years old. And there's going to be growing pains. It's, it's just kind of it's natural. I don't know. That's why I don't get too down after 
road trips like this one where you go one and three and it's kind of disappointing. Or after a bunch of close losses where it's like, okay, maybe on another night, maybe they win that game, maybe they don't. But you just kind of have to keep the long-term picture in mind that if they do make the playoffs, it's going to be a huge accomplishment given the workload that their two youngest players, who are also their most important players, are facing. It's kind of like they're, they're trying to like cheat to get into the playoffs. If they make the playoffs, it's great. If they don't, it's just kind of part of growing. I, I don't know. Does that make any, any sense? I'm just... I'm just trying to say, like, losses are disappointing, but this is just kind of part of it, you know? I think to put it – I know exactly what you're saying. I think to put it all in perspective, if you're disappointed that the team with the third-worst record in the NBA last year didn't make the playoffs, you probably have some ridiculous expectations. I think it's good, and it shows the work that was done in the offseason to make this roster better, the types of players they added that – week thought they would be in the playoff mix and we're sitting here after a road trip in which you go one and three which is following a road trip in which you went zero and four and you're still in the mix for the playoffs so i i think bigger picture they're ahead of schedule they're absolutely ahead of schedule and i think even if you want to look at it another way they're going to be have two consecutive lotteries and you feel pretty good that for sure one of those guys is a future all-star, and maybe the other one might be too if he develops the way you want to develop. But those are that's amazing success for two years of lottery action. It really, really is. Um, I think I think we're about to go on another nice little stretch, and boy, everybody's hopes a little bit. And there's going to be some down moments again. Everybody's going to be pulling your hair out like you're saying, but you can't watch a basketball team like it's a football team. If you want to freak out week to week in football, go ahead. You know, that's, it lends itself to that a little bit more, although even I think that's a little ridiculous. But that's not the way you watch basketball. It's a big picture sport. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an 82-game season. And one thing you said, this was after game three of the year. After the Mavs beat the Bulls, they were 2-1. and one. We were riding high. They're over 500, baby. You said this is a week-to-week thing. And not that you need to like reset your expectations every week and not that you need to look at the last three games and say, are we good or do we suck? You were saying every single week is going to be a little different because they're going to learn a little more. More teams are going to learn more about them. They're young. They're going through the process. This is their first time playing this team. This is their first back-to-back here. Like all of these things, every week is going to be a little different. And I would even say maybe week to week might be too zeroed in this is almost like a month-to-month thing i mean it is a it's a very slow process and if you're trying to do it like football five nba games is one nfl game yeah like so it's not even like one nba game is a drive in the nfl if you lose it's like you go three and out yeah you know so it's just so hard to it's so hard to have really like huge opinions after one game and after a even after a stretch of two or three or like we've been talking about with this road trip, even after a stretch of 10, because the odds are really stacked against you, given your opponents, your travel schedule, playing five games in seven nights in like two different time zones, two sets of back-to-backs on the same road trip. I mean, it is like, that's really tough. So uh, don't let the results get in the way of the process. The process is really good. I don't know what the team is going to look like in two years. I don't know what the team is going to look like in two months. I have no idea. Maybe even two weeks. Who knows what's going to happen? But you got Luca, you got Dennis. Things are generally looking up. And despite 
three and eighteen on the road. They are still one good week away from five hundred and the playoffs. So it's just like they're think things are going pretty well despite it seeming like the sky is falling anytime they play in a place that's not American Airlines Center. Hey, do me a favor, don't say the sky is falling while we're in a plane. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then number two, I want to throw, before we sign off, I want to throw one more overarching theme at you. Could you okay. Ask? What have I told you before the season began? You know, as we're talking about good things and bad things. What have I told you before the season began? Hey, right at the beginning of the new year, you and I are going to be flying home. We're going to be doing a podcast. And I'm going to tell you that Harrison Barnes should be in the three-point shooting contest because he's earned it. How would you feel if I told you that back in the second week of October? I would honestly think that you were lying. You'd think that I was like being a Homer McHomer guy. Yeah, absolutely. Now that we're here and we're talking about it, think about that. You know, we always talk about it's funny because there was some reaction when the Mavericks got Harrison Barnes. Like, oh, my God, this, why do we want this guy? And I remember telling people, I was like, now hold on. He, coming out of high school, was regarded as one of the two best players in the nation, him and Kyrie Irving. He had a good college career. He was a lottery pick. He started and was a part of one of the greatest five-man lineups of all time. He played world basketball. We're getting him at the age of 24. He's a great person, and he has an amazing work ethic. And you're upset about getting that. I think your expectations and your sense of entitlement sucks, and I think you need to stop watching sports. (laughs) Quite frankly, you're a dumbass, and this ain't for you. And so here we are, several years later, and if you're one of those people two years ago, and Harrison Barnes hasn't changed your opinion of him. Yeah, I, I don't know what to. I don't know what to do with you. This Bunch is of what, Scrooge McDuck's man. This is what pro sports is about. You find talent. You find guys with the right attitude, the right work ethic, the right drive, and you get good player development coaches to develop them. And the knocks on Harrison when he got here, he's coming off a horrific postseason shooting stretch, which, by the way, was an outlier compared to the rest of his career. And that, he, and he wasn't the only person on that team that didn't shoot well, right? And, it, and then it was, well, he can't do anything off the dribble. So what has he done? He's worked tirelessly with his ball handling skills. He's worked tirelessly on his three-point shot. And then it doesn't surprise anybody when he attacks the basket and scores or when he pulls up three feet behind the line and knocks it down. That's why you get talented players and you develop them, and that's what the Mavericks did. Yeah, so I don't know what the percentages are now because of the game that was tonight. I think Barnes in this game was 0 for 3 in the Philly game, so his, his percentage dropped probably – I don't know, 0.2 or 0.3 points. But stretching back all the way to his third game of the season, third game of the season, which he's now played, I want to say, 33 games. So that's a nice, solid 31, 30-31 game sample. He's averaging almost seven three-point attempts per game. And coming into this game, he was shooting 44% on threes. It's elite. Yeah. No, that is like – that is – the elitist of the elite. So so elite, in fact. Yeah. Not this year, but previous years. Yeah, yeah. So elite is 44%, in fact, that of all the players in that time, so that's dating all the way back to October 29th, so that's almost two and a half months worth of games that we're talking about, dating all the way back to October 29th, 37 players attempt at least six threes per game. Barnes had the highest percentage of all of them. And that's Steph Curry, that's James Harden, like the best. And not only like 
Harden's degree of difficulty is very high, obviously. But I'm talking like the best spot-up shooters too. Clay Thompson, like marksmen, guys that are paid millions and millions of dollars to shoot threes. Barnes is shooting better than every single one of those guys for two and a half months on a team where there's not a whole lot of outside of Luca and Dennis, there's not a lot of dynamic playmakers necessarily. Like he's just shooting the crap out of the ball for two and a half months. And last season and the year before is doing a little more ISO, a little more mid range post up, uh, 90 style basketball, I guess, early right. thousands. He wasn't shooting a lot of threes, and when he was, he was only shooting about 35, 36%. So it was, I guess, fair to maybe come into this season thinking now that he's going to be more of a spot up shooter, is he going to be able to boost those percentages a little bit? And not only has he boosted them, but he is shooting it better than literally all of the other high volume three point shooters in the entire NBA. Yeah, and you know, it's a sign too that. Uh, he was given, you know, Rick talked about this before the Boston game, I think. I think uh, maybe it was even Tim Cato that was asking him about he's increased his range and he's cre- increased his, uh, you know, he's making a higher percentage because they asked him to do it. You know, and so I, I started thinking about that when you're talking about he used to do the mid-range stuff and the isolation stuff. What they've asked him to do each time, he's taken it on and bettered himself in whatever capacity they've asked him to do. That's a guy you want to keep. Yeah, dude. I mean, his first season here, 2016-17, he was like one of the four or five best isolation scores in the NBA. Yeah. And in Golden State, he had he had ISOed like maybe 20 times total in his career. And he comes here and is immediately one of the best his first year. This summer, hey, get a little better shooting spot-up threes. Okay, not only will I get a little better, I will become the best at it. Like, like you were saying, that is the type of person that you want to invest in. Like can't look at somebody's contract and say, yeah, he's getting a max contract. He should be an all-star. There's only 24 all-stars in the NBA. Most of them are on max deals, and some of them are on rookie deals. So just because you get a max deal doesn't mean you're going to be an all-star first. Second, not every player is LeBron. There's only one of those. There's only 15 all-NBA players. Just because your guy is an all-NBA all-star does not mean that he's terrible. It doesn't mean he's overpaid. Barnes is a great dude, great teammate, great worker, and he's a pretty freaking good player, too. His effective field goal percentage is over 53 for more than two and a half months. Like, this guy is killing it this season. I, I don't. I think that people are generally kind of coming around on him, though. I mean, other than his assist numbers are down, I guess, but whenever you're shooting nothing but layups and threes, you're probably not going to get a lot of assists because you're, like, the outlet. You're the tight end, right? You're not, you're not the quarterback anymore. I used to call that it's a, uh, you know, it's a business term or whatever in that term an end user in yeah, other words like the end point. when Jerry Stackhouse was here he was an end user you know Stack wasn't going to be creating for others Stack was going when he had the ball Stack was going to be attacking or scoring or whatever in this in our structure Harrison is an end user and uh, he's doing very very well yeah I mean you can't if you're running like 12 seconds of action and you kick it to Barnes you can't run more stuff like you just need a shot Yeah. so I don't know I think it's weird to demand that he get more assists or something because he already got Luca, Dennis, JJ. Those are your predictions for those three guys to all average is five, uh, five assists per game at the beginning of the year. I think JJ's there. Luca is like on the verge. If not there, Dennis is close. Yeah. But you're not going to get 40 assists per game as a team. Like, right. you know, the assists got to be distributed one way or another. So, uh, yeah, Barnes takes a lot of threes, makes a lot of threes, takes a lot of lips, makes a lot of those two. He's not getting a whole lot of assists, but guess what? 
I will take the best three-point shooter in the NBA over a guy who's worse at threes to get an extra assist per game, Absolutely. if that's the trade-off. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when we break it all down, the theme of this, a lot of good things going on. Yeah, man, a lot of good things. And look, 18 and 21, that's a losing record. Nobody on the plane, I think, is happy with 18 and 21. I'm sure they would rather be 21 and 18. But a lot of the a lot of these games lately, especially lately, the last month, have come down to like literally the last shot of the game. And if you're putting yourself in position to at least be in position to win a game on the road, that is a huge improvement over what we saw for basically 82 games last season, yeah. where they were almost there but not good enough. This year they have. I don't know anymore, but they had a winning clutch uh, clutch game record through the beginning of the OKC road trip, right? So before the last four games, they were 10 and 10 or 11 and 10 in clutch games. Um, they're getting better. There's signs of progress all over the place. We can just just enjoy it, man. It's been fun. It's been a fun ride. They are very close to having a winning record. Unfortunately, they got a losing record right now. Maybe a good week. We'll put them there. Um yeah, I don't know. I, do you have any other uh, any other final takes you want to fire off? Final take I want to fire off. I'm doing this in my head right now. They are, after these next four games, they will be 500 for 2019. All right. right. All right. So what are, what, are they, what are they right now? What are they right now? One and two? One and two. The OKC was New Year's Eve. Dude, I'll, I'll, how about this? You bettered me. Before they go on the road again... They'll be over 500 for 2019. I like that. I like that better. Yeah, there like we go. There we go. Okay, yeah, good time. So uh, the flight is taking us over Little Rock. We are going to be approaching Dallas here pretty soon, actually. And we're going to be home, sweet home, for another week. Congrats to the Dallas Cowboys. How about that? Congrats to uh, Luca, of course, for winning Rookie of the Month for the second straight month. Let's make it three months in a row. Congrats to Skin for being a road warrior. And beating flight delays and bad weather to make it to Boston on time for his first trip at the TD Garden. In uh, in one sentence, sum up what that was like. Uh, that was a fantastic experience. That was really, really cool. And I can't believe uh, my only trip to Boston to watch a basketball game, that crowd does that for Dirk. Well done, yeah. Boston fans. Yeah. Very well done. That was awesome. That was awesome. Props to them. And really everywhere Dirk has been this year, they've been great to him. But that was... That was pretty emotional, man. That was, wow. Uh, very unexpected, but uh, very appreciated by any and all Maverick fans, and especially the big German. Yeah, especially. Did you hear what uh, Brad Stevens said? I did, yeah. He said, I've only rooted for two guys in my life, to, two opponents in my life to score, Paul Pierce and, of course, Dirk. Pretty cool, man. Yeah, pretty yeah cool. that is awesome. Um, anyways, the Mavs are home this week. This is going to come at you on Sunday. We're home tomorrow night against the Lakers. We've got the Suns. we got the Wolves. And we got the dreaded Golden State Warriors. It's going to be a big, big, big week of Mavs basketball ahead. I'm looking forward to it. And we will be back with you at some point here on a normal schedule. Maybe this week, maybe next week. Either way, it'll be soon. It's numbers on the boards.